God bless you all. You may be seated in the wonderful name of the Lord. If you were in attendance last Sunday, you'll know that uh, I was not. I took a short trip to the last evening of our camp meeting and then to a friend in Pennsylvania that has preached for us before, my good friend Chad. And Brother Harold uh, stood in place and taught and preached for us. So even though he's not here, thank you, Brother Harold, for allowing me to escape for a weekend. But I'm back. And I'm back in black. And I didn't plan that. It just popped into my head. But let's turn today. I want to jump around here a little bit in the book of Acts chapter 2 as we get started. Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading here in verse 1, read a few familiar verses, and then jump uh, on through this chapter a little bit. The Bible says in verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. I want to talk about our salvation today. What salvation really means. What does salvation really, really mean to us? Or perhaps what it should mean to us. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time, this opportunity. God, I ask that you would bless me, help me, anoint me, O oh God. As I speak and, and touch our ears that we could hear from heaven. Lord, in your wonderful name we pray. Jesus, Jesus, amen, amen, amen. Now Pentecostals love to preach from the book of Acts. Pentecostals love to preach from Acts chapter 2 because being the birth of the church, we are, we are originalists. In a sense, we do our, our level best to go back to what Peter, Paul, James, John, what they taught the first church. We want to reflect it. Amen? Amen. We want to be like it. And so we go back to the birth of the church and we read how the Holy Ghost came. Just as the words of John the Baptist had predicted, there's one coming after me. He's better than me. He's, he's preferred before me. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And here we find the fulfillment of that short little prophecy that John the Baptist spoke out. And, and most likely, people did not understand it, not fully. They didn't really understand. They didn't really grasp what he meant, baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. But Jesus, the question was put to him by Nicodemus, right? In the book of John, Nicodemus comes to him. And before Nicodemus even asks 
a question, Jesus just opens up and begins to talk to him. Because why? Jesus knows why he's there. He knows better why he's there than why Nicodemus thinks he's there, right? Because God is a discerner of the intents of the heart. And so when I ask this question, you know, what does salvation mean to you? You may have a preconceived notion. You may have an answer ready, but do you know your own heart? Hmm. Well, there is a scripture that says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Who can know it? Are you telling me, preacher, that I don't even know myself? You're exactly right. You get a, a gold star and an A for the day. We don't know ourselves. We don't understand our own intentions, right? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We don't understand a whole lot of, of who we are and, and how we think. And the Holy Ghost can help us. I do believe that the Holy Ghost can help us. But it is plain in Scripture, it is plain for us to see that we cannot trust our own thoughts. We cannot trust our own hearts. And so we ask it again, what does salvation mean to you? Well, you have a preconceived notion. You have perhaps a prepackaged thing that other people have told you or even what you've read in the Bible. But if, if we were to be able to see through that answer and, and look into each and every one of our minds, well, we might get some, some convoluted things. We might get some convoluted things. Why say that? Well, if we looked throughout all of human history, we would find this notion of a desire for eternal life, right? That's what Jesus is offering, right? In salvation, he's offering eternal life through him. And if we were to look throughout all of history, in any region of the earth, any religions, any histories, we would find people seeking eternal life. This even, this even had a, a, a movement in the age of exploration, right? Wasn't it Ponce de Leon that came to Florida in search of the fountain of life? You history buffs, if I got it wrong, let me know later. Searching for the fountain of, of life or the fountain of youth that we might remain youthful forever. Why would you want to be youthful forever? Why would you want to live forever? How many conversations have I had that started some, some way like, if, if I could live as old as old Methuselah, if I had a thousand years almost on this earth, all oh, the things I would learn, all oh, the things I would do, right? Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book, right? All oh, the places I would go. There is something within us, right? We want to experience things. We want to learn things. We wanted this. We wanted that. But, but what is perhaps not hidden but denied within ourselves is this desire to accumulate, to gather, to excel, to be the one in charge, if I can say it that way, to, the one to have all the gold, to make all the rules, to be, to be the one to be in charge. And if I had enough time, right, I could do all of those things. So the search throughout history for eternal life was, was just to have the time to do it. Now, I think even accepting the fact that that's not possible, we, we, experience, we experience a similar thing on a smaller scale all the time. We're confronted with a challenge. And we say to ourselves, oh, if I just had the time, 
I'd do it if I just had the time. I'd fix that issue if I just had the time. I'd work on that thing if I just had the time. I would go and, and spend time with that person, right, if I just had the time. But I'm running out of time all the time. I'm running out of time. So I want eternal life. Why? To, to solve all the problems to learn all the things, to see all the, the places, to yada, 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 yada. And, and so you see really there is this great overlay of selfishness with the desire to live forever. What does salvation mean to you? Well, as spiritual as we want it to be and as spiritual as we would make it be, let's not deny the fact that there is an awful carnal element to wanting to live forever, wanting to have salvation. Jesus offers eternal life, but, but it's not so that we can accumulate all the things. It's not so that we can see all the places. It's not so that we can learn everything there is to know. And by the way, if you didn't know, you don't know all the things there is to know. There's a whole lot that, that we don't know and that we'll never know. But we do know one who does know it all. And we lean upon him for that great salvation. And so we've read here the birth of the church as the Holy Ghost falls, salvation is offered. Salvation comes to the church. And you'll remember how that moment was so powerful. Even though the words, you won't find them explicitly there, we understand that they were in an upper room, were they not? They were separated from the crowd, were they not? They were not with the rest of the city, were they not? Can I hear an amen? Amen. And so when the Holy Ghost came to them, it was with such power, with such, with such a, 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 a thunder from heaven, they couldn't stay in the room. They spilled out into the streets because in the next scene, that's where we find them. They are speaking in other tongues, and, and, and well, they weren't running the aisles. They were running the streets, let's say. They were shouting. They were looking all kinds of crazy. And what was the comment from all these Jews, from all the nations under heaven, right? They come and they see this sight and they say, aren't these Galileans? How is it we hear them speaking in our own tongue? The many wonderful works of God. Now, why did they qualify the statement, aren't these Galileans? Well, folks, you must understand that, they, that Galilee was considered um, Appalachia of Israel. And that's no insult. Both my parents were born in Virginia, but there is a notion, often many times wrong, that, oh, that's just where the ignorant hillbillies are. And so let's read it again in that wise. Uh, aren't these the ignorant hillbillies? How could they possibly know any other languages?
Well, salvation is not taught by men. Salvation is not given by men. Salvation is given only by God. Can I hear an amen? Salvation is offered only by Jesus Christ. Salvation is not earned because you have been so good and you have uh, uh, done so right and you have uh, just been, as, as people love to say uh, these days, if I'm just generally a good person, you don't get to determine whether you've been a good person or not. Salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. So all the ignorant hillbillies are in the streets speaking in tongues and shouting and carrying on and doing, uh, uh, just creating quite a sight. And so all the educated people gather around and all the smart people and they said, oh, they must be drunk. But these are not drunk as you suppose, says Peter. These are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it's only, you know, it's just the morning here. The, the day's barely started. This is uh, not the wine you think. This is the wine of the Spirit. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that in the last days I would pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, etc., etc. It gives him an opportunity to preach this great message. Short, succinct, poignant This came through Jesus, he says, the one that you crucified. The boldness within Peter is amazing. Certainly it wasn't specifically everyone there hearing it, but they knew. They knew what had happened. They were bystanders or they had heard. Understand, he wasn't preaching to Caiaphas, the high priest, to, who, who orchestrated a lot of what happened. No, he's just preaching to the crowd. You were consenting unto his death, but God was not willing that he should stay dead. God was not willing that that body should stay in the earth. God raised him up, and he sits in the power of God. David saw it far off. David spoke of it. God would not let him see corruption. Therefore, in verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? You know, if there is a a sentiment missing from the American psyche. It is the sentiment that we just read. If there is a sentiment missing from the churches of America, it is the sentiment that we just read. And I know it's easy to drift off hearing a voice that you've heard many times before, maybe even saying some of the same things that that voice has said before. But, but please hear 
what this preacher is trying to communicate to you. The sentiment missing that when we are confronted with accusation, when we are confronted with the truth, when we are confronted with ourselves, that we become undone, that we become uncomfortable, that we feel conviction and that we feel the voice of God speaking to us. You've done wrong. But what do Americans like to do? And even, yes, even in the churches, a, a preacher gets up, a, a whomever gets up and begins to declare the truth and begins to say there's something as sin. And we just say, he don't know what he's talking about. Pfft, that ain't me. Pfft, that's that person over there. What does salvation mean to you? Oh, I get to live forever. I get what I want. I get to accumulate the this and the that and the whatever. Salvation should mean more than that. Salvation should mean that we unburden ourselves of all the guilt and all the shame and all the sin that it has no claim to us. Our souls get emptied out of all of the rot. But hey, it's America in 2023. There's no rotten souls, are there? There's just my truth. There's just, you know, what I want. And if I don't like the real world, I'll just put on goggles and go into the metaverse and ignore everyone and just be a pod person. Hello. Does anyone still like reality? Oh, reality TV? No, I said reality. Reality. You do not get your own truth. That is nonsense. I might even go so far as to say that is stupid. Your own truth. You know, I think some really smart person thought that up in the hopes that it would help people express the way they're feeling. Right? This is the way I'm feeling. And, and for some reason, those words were insufficient. Or in other words, this is my opinion. Why is that insufficient? You, you know, and I, and I think it is true. Feelings, no matter what they are, are valid. Doesn't mean their opinion is right. Doesn't mean that that's what actually happened. It just means that that person feels the way they feel. So we can validate your feelings at the same time telling you you're wrong. Amen. I want to try that one more time just so that everyone hears it. We can validate your feelings at the same time telling you you're wrong. You feel like you want to sin. But sin is the wages of death and you ought not do it. Amen? People feel like they know better than their parents. But as I already said early on, they usually don't. People feel like they would be better it would be better at work if they were in charge, but chances are you don't know all of what's going on behind the scenes. You can feel a whole lot of ways. And those feelings can be valid. But that doesn't mean your opinion is right. That doesn't mean that, that, that what you want to happen should happen. Salvation should mean more than I get what I want. Salvation should mean I empty myself 
of my notions. I empty myself of my opinions. I'll even ask, Lord, to help me to empty myself of my feelings so that I could feel the way he feels. Now, that might be easy. That's, that's, that's really flowery language. But listen to what that probably means, really. is that when he looks down at the earth, his heart bleeds for people that are on their way to hell. You want to feel like Jesus? You're going to feel like you want to destroy the world for its sin and at the same time have such an overwhelming compassion that you'll hold back the fire of heaven for the chance of one person to be saved. You want to empty yourself of your feeling, take on his feeling. You're going to feel things that are are foreign to you, hard to process even seemingly dissonance within themselves. Here I am. You want to feel what he feels? King of the universe. And all people want to do is ignore him. Salvation should mean more than you get what you want. You want to take upon yourself his feeling? Well, we should want that, right? Empty ourselves out just as he did. Philippians records that he emptied himself out in Gethsemane and became obedient even to the death of the cross. And that's why he has a name higher than any other. Perhaps this is a hard message to understand in a time where we have such such advancement and such wealth. And I know that I'm not talking to rich people. But if you were to compare what you have, however little it is, to just about any person a thousand years ago, you are light years ahead of them in wealth and prosperity light years ahead of them. If you have a refrigerator, I mean, you're like a king compared to everybody else a thousand years ago, aren't you? You can preserve your food. They couldn't do that. The king just relied upon basically taking everything from everyone all the time, but only taking enough to where he would still be king and they wouldn't revolt. That's how he had fresh food every day. Everyone else was in the field grinding it out. But here we are, blessed. Hey, we've got jobs and we've got clothes and we've got cars and we've got retirements and we've got everything in life pre-planned out. And being blessed with riches and, and honor and this and that and the other, the Bible says, People that are blessed with those things, they they desire nothing for their soul. Oh, eternal life, salvation, sure, just add that to the pile. I'm so blessed. Just No, that's not the way it works. It's it's an emptying out of all that, that is precious to you. A willingness to forego all of the advancement you gain in the flesh. 
I count it all loss. It's, it's nothing to me, is what Paul wrote. To have him. To have him. Salvation, folks, is what the world needs, isn't it? Shall I say it differently? Jesus is what the world needs, isn't it? The Holy Ghost is what the world needs, isn't it? Amen? But so few want to empty themselves out. To take hold of his hand and and forget everything else. Just forget everything else. Jesus came through Galilee and he he said to, to Andrew and to Peter and James and John, drop your nets and follow me. And we really minimize the decision that they made. I I feel like we do. That was a momentous thing, and that that was a big deal. They didn't just drop a net and that was it. They were dropping their livelihood. They were dropping all that they knew. They were dropping all of their comfort zone. And while some were married, they, they had to... Not abandon, but at least in the temporary, leave their family to follow him. They emptied themselves out in order to do this. I say they emptied themselves out in order to follow Christ. And so when, when the real challenges came and the multitude looked at Jesus and they were offended at Jesus for what he said and, and Jesus looked at the disciples and said, will you also leave me at this time? Because they had emptied themselves out, Peter speaking, at least for 11 of the 12, was able to say, hey, we got nowhere else to go. We're with you until the end. Salvation, salvation for Peter, at least in that moment, it, it was more than just getting what he wanted. He was getting closer to Christ. He was getting closer to him, understanding a bit more than what, he, than what he started out as, than what he started out knowing, what he started out understanding. He was capturing more of it. it, 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 it I know that we can point to his failures after that, but, but that's, that's life, isn't it? We ebb and flow with the Lord, don't we? We, we? we get close and then something happens and it knocks us back. But salvation, if we're really seeking after him, it means more than just having what we want. It calls us back. He he puts his, his barbs into our heart and he will not let us go. Drawing us ever closer, ever closer. Yeah, it ebbs and flows, but ever closer to him. Puts his barbs in our heart, just as the word of the Lord said, there, when they were, or then they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What are we going to do with this gospel? What are we going to do with this Jesus? What are we going to do with the fact that you've cut me with your words? You know, the way we say that in the modern vernacular, the kids would say, you cut me deep, bro. What shall I do? What must we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent. Repent. 
repent. That means turn around. That means stop doing what you are doing. Do, do the opposite. You've observed the law of Moses written on tablets, but he's trying to write his law on your hearts. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We call this the plan of salvation. Or we like to call it the plan of salvation, but with, with most of men's concoctions, it falls a bit short, right? There is no one verse that will capture all that God wants you to do in your life. It's not a golden ticket that promises you that nothing can ever go wrong and you can never fail and once saved, always saved or anything like that. But it is, as some have taught, the entrance into the kingdom of God. Repent. Turn around from the world. Turn around from what everyone else is saying. Bury yourself in Jesus. Get baptized in his name and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Come into the kingdom of God. Of God. And this promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And church, He is still calling. He is still looking and longing for someone to serve Him, to love Him, to obey Him. Someone who, yes, wants salvation, but wants it not for selfish reasons. Someone who wants to empty themselves out and take upon themselves what? The form of a servant as he was. I'll be your ambassador. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. And that doesn't mean that you have to go to the outer skirts of Mongolia and be a missionary. Someone will be. God's not willing that people should just perish. He's going to send someone. But, but there's, there's plenty of sending that can happen right at home. I say there's plenty of sending that can happen right at home. We read it in our class this morning for Matthew 23. Oh, you scribes and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Uh, you go around the world to save one person and then you'll turn them into the, the child of hell. The twofold child of hell. And you're ne neglecting it what's at home. You're neglecting what's right next to you. There's plenty of people in your city. Hey, there's plenty of people on your street that need this kind of salvation. Send me, Lord, send me. And we have grandiose ideas of that sometimes. Send me to Mongolia? No, how about just send you to your neighbor? The jerk next door. The one that plays their music too loud. Doesn't know how to discipline their kids. Parks in front of your house. Let's the dog mess on your yard. You know, just simple stuff. Just, just simple stuff. All that stuff just grinds against us because it's not what we want. 
I know salvation is something we want, but a salvation is not about what we want. If you take my meaning, it's about taking on him and what he wants. Do we have enough long-suffering just to be sent to our neighbor? I might make that sound easy, but you see, when you get sent, when you get sent to another country and you're an unknown quantity, people are more likely to listen to you. Just because you're new, just because you're fresh, just because you look different, smell different, whatever, there's less of a consequence. But yeah, when you live next to that same neighbor for decade after decade after decade, and you gotta get along with them all the time. It is different, isn't it? It is truly long-suffering, perhaps, isn't it? All the more we have to empty ourselves out, not just, not just once. What did Paul write and say? I die daily. I have to empty myself out daily. I have to turn around from the things of the flesh daily. Take upon him, myself the Spirit daily. This is salvation, right? I'm, I've, I've, I've not once saved, always saved. I don't have a golden ticket here. I have to, all the time, subject my flesh to the will of the Spirit. Subject my desires, my longings, everything that I want to Him. For salvation, for the kingdom, for the hope that someone else might be saved also. And that is a hope. That is a hope that someone else might be saved. You know how, how fortunate it, it is if, if, if you have this Holy Ghost experience. You, you know how lucky it is if you have this opportunity to, to see it and to know it and to understand it. Why, why am I waxing about that? Well, listen, folks. It, it is in his word that this message would be preached in all the world. That is in there. But there's no guarantee of salvation for any of us. There's no guarantee. We have to be submitted to him. Wouldn't it be nice if you could give someone salvation, but you can't? Wouldn't it be nice if you could just pick and choose? Yeah, people are going to do right, and, and we're all going to go to heaven. Yeah, but you can't. And God's not even willing that, that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But even the will of God gets overridden by your free will. I said, even the will of God gets overridden by your free will. He's not willing that any should perish, but they are. He's not willing that any should go to hell, but they do. Because broad is the way, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Most people go that way. But narrow is the way straight... Straight is the way, narrow is the gate that leads to life everlasting, and few be there that find it. What does salvation mean to you? Well, it should be, it should be following that straight and narrow way. It should be 
going the way that most people aren't going. It should mean emptying out of yourself wants and desires, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the ideas, the machinations that you're going to accumulate anything, that you're going to be uh, uh, something great and something wonderful and something beautiful in the eyes of men. No, you want to be something great and beautiful in the eyes of God. Emptying out all of your own will, all of your own desires, as Paul also wrote, mortifying, mortifying the deeds of the flesh, bringing into subjection every thought, every vain imagination, subjecting it to that Holy Ghost. Teach me, God, teach me. Let's all stand today as we are going to have a song as we close. What does salvation mean to you? Well, hey, we, we teach about that day of Pentecost, and we teach about uh, uh, the Holy Ghost and tongues, and we teach all about it. But, folks, salvation needs to be more than tongues. Salvation needs to be more than just a, a, an enthusiastic moment. Salvation should mean a relationship with him that you can hear his still, small voice. Amen. Why don't you raise your hands to heaven? Ask the Lord, speak to me, God. Speak to me, Lord. Your acts are wonderful. But Lord, as I enjoy your acts, let me not neglect your ways your thoughts speak to my soul teach me oh God teach me oh God where I lack empty my my whole being out search me oh Lord take out what is dark and take out what is rotten and take out what is selfish and Take out, O oh Lord, all of the deeds of the flesh. Let me see you. When I look at the world, let me see them through your eyes. Lord, help me this day. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.
Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the people here that are hungry for you, that want, O oh Lord, you to teach them in spirit, O oh God, what they ought to do. Help us this week to submit our thoughts, to submit our mind, to submit our actions to your will. Send us forth, O oh God, with a purpose, with intention young and old. Send us forth with an intention to bless someone, to minister to them, to help them. Jesus, in your mighty name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed in the wonderful name of the Lord.